Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is Andy Compton. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. Indeed, indeed it is. Before we get into any details about what we're going to talk about, which is five great tips to make the industry notice you, um, do you want to give the audience a little bit of a background as to who you are and what you're up to? Sure, yeah. Um, Again, Andy Compton. Uh, I'm just a guy in Midwest America. I'm in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, Not the traditional Hollywood screenwriting uh, origin story, but yeah, um, I'm a writer and director. I've done a couple short films, no features. I'm kind of just getting my first taste of breaking into the industry. I got a manager in December of 2021 for the first time. Thank you. So yeah, I'm now represented and kind of entering into the industry. Um, I do also host a podcast. I'm only 10 episodes in, but um, it's called the Social Screenwriters Podcast. You can find more about it at Social Writer Pod on Twitter and Instagram. But basically, I just interview uh, other writers that I met on Twitter and we talk about who they are and what their process is and um, their thoughts on the industry and breaking in and people of various levels. um, But a lot of them, people just like me, just trying to get their first shot. Okay. Um, Yeah. And that's, uh, that's about it. I also made a short film that's coming to festivals this year. You can find out more about it at Ethan Edna movie. It's uh, Ethan and Edna is the name of it. It's a short dramedy. It's going to play in a few festivals, hopefully. So you say you've got no, you've got no um, announcements yet. Then you're still waiting on festival feedback. Yeah, um, we just started submitting last month, okay. and usually it's like you know five, six months before you even hear anything. That the selection process starts so early mm. in the year, in the spring, and then around August to September is usually when a lot of these festivals announce. Um, so yeah, I'm playing the waiting game for now. There is a smaller festival that's close to my heart, though, the St. Louis Filmmaker Showcase. Yes, which is a local thing for my community and uh, our filmmaking community here. And that will be, I think selections are being announced in June and it'll take place in late July. And I really hope we get to part, be a part of it. My last film, Tin Box, we were a part of it and it was a joy, although it was all online uh, mm. because of the pandemic. Of course. Uh, we, our film was finished in February of 2020 and then the pandemic hit. And our entire festival run was all exclusively online, uh, which it was what it was. But we had a great experience. And uh, I really hope this year I get to go kind of watch people watch my film in uh, our no, film. No, no, you're, 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 you're in a live audience. Your tale is not an uncommon one. And I think that I think yeah. one of the things that a lot of people in the film industry are all levels, and I think this is the, it's almost like a universal truth, is like whether or not you're trying to get your short into a local film festival or you're hoping to get a feature in a competition in Cannes, there is a mm-hmm. huge difference between that happening and that happening and you being in a room with an audience watching your film. Um, yes. Uh, and I've interviewed people across the spectrum on that one. And it is, it is really interesting that we took it for granted, like a lot of things we took for granted with the freedom of movement pre-pandemic. That uh, Yeah, for sure. That was an sure. important part of the process. And you kind of, it's only when you start stripping away the elements you're not allowed to do because of what the pandemic has, imp- has imposed on us that you realize, oh yeah, that was an important ingredient as to, I mean, as a filmmaker, your own, your own understanding of how your film works is, is if you can see it with an audience, that's your best test of anything. Yes. A hundred percent. And I was lucky for Tin Box that we, I was still in film school oh. and we got to show this film to like three different classes and get feedback and all these mm. things. And then I tightened up the edit, you know, based on that feedback, we even did a couple of reshoots because of feedback uh, that we got in those classes. So Brilliant. that was an advantage for that film. But then this was my first post film school film yeah. that I made on my own uh, outside of film school. I didn't make it on my own. I uh, had a lot of help, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how this one goes. The early feedback has been good just from uh, the cast and crew and then a few peers that I've let see the film. But now it's kind of on lockdown and we're just waiting to see what festivals think. So uh, fingers crossed. Indeed. Well, yeah, fingers crossed from uh, Britflix too. Oh, thank the very you. Very best of luck. So we're going to move into the, the main body of the conversation. And I think five great tips to make the industry notice you is a really great title. 
Um, mm-hmm. Especially given, as you've already pointed out, you're not, you might be American, but you're not Hollywood based. So for, for a lot of my listeners, they won't be in America. But I think it, so. I think it will resonate beyond just you know the idea of trying to establish yourself outside of the Hollywood bubble, um, and, yeah. and, and lessons learned there. So we're gonna just for the benefit of the audience now who may not have heard this before. The format is simple. It's five times five, so five headings by five minutes, and at the end of each five minutes, an alarm will go off, and in this case, it's a dog barking. And that will draw us to close on the first item on uh, on Andy's agenda, and we'll we'll finish that up, and then we'll move on to the next one. Um, does that make sense to you, Andy? Yes, it does. Yeah, I follow that. So we're in good shape so far. Cool. Item number one on the five great tips to make the industry notice you is you've headed breaking in from outside Hollywood. Do you want to sort of unpack that for us and see where we go? Yeah, sure. So like I said, I'm in Missouri, which is like the polar opposite of uh, not not literally, but figuratively the polar opposite of Hollywood. Um, I'm in the Midwest in kind of a working class uh, way of life, you know, and uh, telling people that you want to be a filmmaker around these parts is you kind of get some weird looks, you know, like, oh, really? That's, you know, shouldn't you be somewhere anywhere else than uh, Missouri? Um, so it's been an interesting journey, but, uh, yeah, I went to film school here. I went to film school late. I was kind of a knucklehead as a kid. I was a high school dropout, um, spent many years just kind of working regular jobs, warehouses, restaurants, things like that. And, uh, partying a lot, you know, kind of getting into trouble. And then around 26, I got sober for the first time and, uh, started, started college, started at a community college in my town. And just didn't know what I was going to do. I had no film aspirations, no screenwriting aspirations, never knew that this was going to be my path whatsoever. And then um, went through community college and around, and I started kind of messing with screenwriting. This is 2016, 2017. And then in 2018, it was time to transfer to university. I did that. And I went to a film school and entered a screenwriting program. And that's kind of what got me on this journey. And then upon graduating that, it was early 2020 pandemic, uh, graduation, May, 2020. Yeah. Um, everyone's on lockdown anyway. So I'm kind of trying to use that to my advantage. The fact that the entire industry was operating on zoom for the first time, no one really knew what zoom was yet, Yeah, yeah, yeah. but Hollywood had had a massive shift to zoom. And because of that, you know, I was able to like get my first ever manager, um, general with, someone over zoom and that was in december of 2020 and although i wasn't represented it was my first experience of talking to an actual player in the industry so then i just kept going grinding i'm entering contests which we'll get into in a little bit um doing everything i can from missouri so far from hollywood um so so what are you actually when you're saying you're doing something what are you actually doing to try and break in what's actually going on how are you getting noticed so, so you can have zoom calls with people Sure. Uh, uh, mostly screenwriting competitions. Uh, the way that I got that meeting is actually kind of funny because people say, you know, entering contests can be a waste of money. And if you're not winning, then nothing really happens for you, which I found to be true and not true because the way I got my first manager meeting was I randomly got an email from a professional writer who I don't know if they would want me to share their name or not. So I won't right now, but, uh, Nice guy. I had never met before, never, you know, nothing. And he said, Hey, I was a first round reader in the Launchpad screenwriting competition earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And I read your script, Suplex, which is a feature I wrote. It's about a young man, teenager from an abusive home who um, wants to find a way out of his small town in his abusive home through a very violent backyard wrestling league that he enters into okay. and tries to climb the ranks in. Um, and it's, you know, it's a very indie drama kind of movie, but he read the screenplay and he thought it was really good. And he moved it on to the next round. Now in that, in that competition, I was only a quarter finalist, didn't get any further. So you would think that's not really a win, but then when the fest, when the contest concluded, he was allowed to email me because he couldn't, while it was still active, oh, uh, yeah, I guess, contractually. Yeah. But yeah, he was like, hey, I read your script. I really liked it. I think you're talented. Is there anything I can do just to like help you? I just, you know, I just want to reach out and see if I can give you a helping hand. 
so I tell him, you know, yeah, I'm kind of a nobody in Missouri. Um, I wrote that in film school. I don't have management. I've never talked to a manager. I've never talked to an agent. I've never talked to a real producer. And he's like, okay, so I'm going to try to figure something out. And he got me a meeting with a manager at a pretty well-known management company. And it went well. It was a cool meeting. And uh, I'm super grateful that it happened. But yeah, that's that's one of the ways. Entering contests was one of the ways. Um, putting my stuff up on Coverfly and on Stage 32, even though I didn't use that that much. I was finding every single online avenue that I possibly could yeah. to get myself noticed. Um, also, Twitter. I, I had a Twitter account since 2009, yeah. and it was dormant for about 11 years. I'd, I'd pop in once every few years to try to mess with it. I heard it. Uh, pop in every few years to try to mess with it. However, I just felt like I was talking to a brick wall. And then when the pandemic started, I found the screenwriting corner mm. of Twitter and uh, started just kind of meeting people and following other screenwriters and interacting with them and then kind of gearing my stupid sense of humor towards screenwriting. And I started just kind of growing a little bit of a network. And uh, And the Twitter side, I can't, I can't stress enough how much Twitter has helped me hmm. um, as a screenwriter in middle America, not on the coasts, really get noticed. Uh, I could, you know, maybe later there's an opportunity to dive more into how Twitter has helped me. But um, yeah, yeah, no, no, I think that's, that's a really, that's really sound advice. And I think it's, it's sort of, you know, in a, it, it, to, to sort of sum it up, it's like, it's be bold about what you can do with the avenues that are available to you to get noticed and that 100%. Yes. Yeah. And, and uh, just for geography's sake and for people mm -hmm. that don't know where Missouri is in comparison to New York and LA, because they mm -hmm. know most of my listeners is going to know where that, those two places are. How far yeah. are you from LA? Um, it, it is the exact middle between New York and LA. Really? Uh, yeah, the Midwest, it's uh, St. Louis is like pretty much, I'm pretty sure that if you went mileage inward from New York and LA, we might be the dead center. So if I drove um, from New York, I'd go via St. Louis, would I? Would that be would that be a route to go? Uh, I would imagine so, yeah. <laughs> I would imagine it would be, honestly. Yeah, you would pass right through, right under the uh, the arch is a big landmark that we have here in St. Louis. Uh, you drive right under, it's called the Gateway to the West. As a matter of fact. Brilliant. Well, look, you've already started talking about this, but you want your next heading is navigating screenwriting competitions. You want to sort of unpack that for the uh, for the listener? Absolutely. So in twenty the summer of 2019, I finished um Suplex, which was my first feature. Mm -hmm. And I started I had no idea if it was good or not. And in its earliest stage, it wasn't great. I didn't understand formatting very well. I didn't understand a lot of things, but I think what that script had was a lot of heart. Uh in I entered it immediately into a screencraft competition, screencraft drama. Mm. And in 2019, I got um my result back. I made the quarterfinals and it gives you like a rating out of 10. And my first score I ever got was a 9.6 out of 10. Blimey. And I was like, oh my God, I am the next great American screenwriter. That's what's happening. Like it totally gave me a big head. Mm. And uh I couldn't believe it. And then in the next round, uh I ended up not making the semifinals and I got like a 5.1 out of 10, I think, or something, just totally a complete knockdown. And that was my very first experience with the subjectivity of screenwriting competitions. Yeah, is that tell me about it. That's amazing <clears throat> difference. Yeah, it's all in the reader that you get. And I've experienced nothing but varying levels of that all through my time. I think I spent two and a half years entering mm. screenwriting competitions. And, um, but yeah, I was really grinding at that as many, many screenwriters do before they get noticed. Um, there's a huge contest competition kind of environment on Twitter, mm -hmm. people talking about competitions, posting their results, all these things. And it is good for exposure. Um, I, I will preface this with, um, I entered probably, I don't know, 25 to 30 competitions over my time. And they're like 70 bucks a pop. Yeah, I was going to say, it's so not cheap, is it? No, it's not. And uh, I was lucky to have the money when I was doing this to be entering these things and trying to get my chances. And uh, I'd place in the semifinals, the quarterfinals. I was never a finalist uh, for a long time. 
And then that all changed in the summer of 2021. I had two of my features, Suplex and Bellyache, which Bellyache is the one that's kind of doing more for me right now. It's uh, about an alcoholic lunch lady in Missouri who is fired from her job at an elementary school cafeteria for giving a less fortunate student free meals okay. uh, because he couldn't afford it. And then her journalist daughter, who she's been estranged from for many years, writes a story about it. And it kind of brings them back together. And the story goes viral and they become this Internet sensation. And with that, all the skeletons in the lunch lady's closet become to start to come out of the closet. Interesting. That she was not a great mother. And, you know, her, her, her and her daughter have this really strained relationship. But anyway, that was the other feature. <clears throat> and those two placed in the Nickel Fellowship, which is kind of regarded as the cream of the crop competition. Well, it's, it's run it's by run, the Academy. I was going to say, it's run, run by the Oscar Academy, isn't it? So <clears throat> that's the. So congratulations yeah. there. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So, and they both were semifinalists. And in fact, Suplex made it to the top 50. Um, and that was just a massive career boost for me. I had people on Twitter, managers and stuff, DMing me like, hey, can I read your script? I was getting random emails. Hey, can I read your script? Um, and just a lot of peers who wanted to read it. And that was when everything changed for me. So it took two and a half years of spending a few thousand dollars uh, US um, trying to just get exposure and get that feedback and figure out where I stack up in the industry. And with the nickel, um, you know, I'm get, I'm taking general meetings, I'm doing all these things. And then Roadmap Writers, uh, Dorian Connolly, who was the co-founder of Roadmap Writers, you can yeah. find him on Twitter at Roadmap Writers, uh, reached out to me and said, hey, I uh, saw you placed in the nickel and I kind of just like your Twitter presence. Could I read your script? She did. She passed it on to her, uh, her work partner, Joey Tuccio. And he liked it. And he was like, hey, can I send this out for you? And then he sent it to Epicenter. Jared Murray, who is now my manager, wow. uh, read it at Epicenter. And we got a meeting. Things went well. And then two months later, they signed. me. So it's like, you know, screenwriting competitions, people can have their opinion on them. I have my opinion that I probably spent a lot more money than I should have. But it mm. was all part of my journey. And in the end, it actually did pay off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if you want, I I do have a, and this can go in or can be cut out, but like I have a list of the competitions that I find to be probably reputable and uh, uh, non-predatory because I do believe that it's a well, predatory look, I mean, you, you, You've gone through this experience. If you've got <clears throat> you've got an understanding of, and you, obviously it's not it's not an endorsement as such because you can't predict who's in charge of these competitions going forward. Yes, but, but mm -hmm. as, you, as as a, as a person that spent money as a consumer, mm -hmm. what are the what are the festivals, the, the screenwriting competitions you would recommend people spend their money on if you've got? For sure. So, yeah, it, it is a predatory industry and you see a lot. Go on Film Freeway or even Coverfly and browse through their competitions and you will see competitions that are just like, you know, um, the Hollywood Screenwriter Awards Monthly and whatever. And it's $70 to enter. And it's like <clears throat> there's no success for their past winners. Um, I would say the thing that you can do is go to a competition, see who the previous winners are in recent years and Google them, see what's going on with their career. See if anything happens. Sometimes you can even DM them on Twitter um, and say, Hey, did this end up doing anything for you? Yeah. Um, but I would say the competitions that I think are the Nicholas first, the nickel fellowship, hmm. Uh, that's pretty well regarded. And then usually people would say Austin Film Festival is the second, which Screen I would agree with. <clears throat> yes, exactly. And then um, after that, it's kind of a mixed bunch, but I would say Screencraft does a lot of good things. I have a friend named Nabil Chowdhury who won their sci-fi competition in 2019. Yeah. And he has gone on to have a great career. He has like multiple projects at multiple like large studios and Brilliant. he has a, a manager agent and he's doing it. And he roots, uh, and he roots that too. he roots that success in the winning of that sci-fi competition. Yes, brilliant. Yes, well, that was that was the the initial seed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that kind of kicked it all off. Um, after that, you know, the Page Awards are pretty mm -hmm. good. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I would say the Launchpad competition does good things. Final Drafts, Big Break, Script Pipeline that you might know from Twitter hashtag Pipeline Writers. That whole thing. I actually won their competition seven days after getting a manager. 
Right, so it was okay. kind of funny timing because I was chasing this dream of getting a manager yeah. uh, by winning a screenwriting competition for two and a half years. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then lo and behold, I get a manager and seven days later, I finally won a competition. So it was just funny timing. But uh, outside well, nice, of that, nice and reassuring for your manager, though, right? Eh? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. They were, uh, they, they picked someone who won a competition. So that was good. Uh, I only won a genre though. There was like, I think four or five winners in different genres. You didn't have to, you'd have to lower, lower, lower the praise there. You're okay. You won. Oh, uh, that's my default setting is to lower the praise. No. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's my list. Um, there might be a few that I missed, but again, just do your due diligence, uh, Google past winners, Google, the company in general, just yeah. see who's running this thing. Who are their judges? Um, what do they offer if you are a finalist or you win is a huge thing. Some of these competitions, I wouldn't blame someone if there is a you know $2,000 cash prize and it's 60 to enter and you really think you could win, go for it. Why not? Hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's no different than like playing a lottery ticket or anything like that. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. But Usually you want to make sure that they have reputable people on their panel, reputable people who are going to have meetings with you if you win. Um, it's just, you know, it's something to look out for because there are people out there that this is just a No, I think, I think, I think your scam. message is clear, really. It's sort of, yeah. it's, you know, the, the, the bigger, the better the competition, the more public the knowledge is about how successful people have been, really. And if it's, 100%, and if it's hard 100%. to find what anyone's ever done who's won it, there's a good, there's a good sign that that's probably not doesn't doesn't have, it doesn't mean it's irreputable. It just means that it's it just means it's not a thing that's going to help elevate your career. So if you're going to spend sixty to eighty dollars and spend it on something that might give you more value, so then it becomes a, a strategy, then doesn't it? And obviously the ones you've listed, and I'll I'll put links in the show notes to all of them so people can check them out for themselves. Um, yeah, you yeah. Know, I mean, Screencraft are very are very busy on Twitter. You know, pipe script pipeline are so. You can you can you can start a conversation with them anyway if you really wanted to before you, before you yeah spent, you totally could before you yeah, spent a dime. I'd say especially script pipeline they're very responsive and mm. active in the uh, screenwriting community. Another thing I'll add if people don't know about Coverfly, it's kind of just a place where you can list your scripts, list your bio, who you are, and you can enter competitions through Coverfly, and they track your successes and give you a rating on your scripts. And um, that can be helpful. Uh, it's kind of hotly debated, to be completely transparent. Coverfly doesn't pay me. Script Pipeline doesn't pay me. Hmm. Um, the, all of these companies come with their pros and their cons, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, Coverfly is a great service that a lot of people are into. Uh, again, I'd urge people to get involved in screenwriting Twitter if you're not. It's Absolutely. You'll start yeah. to I mean, kind of yeah. learn what other people Find are doing. Find your feet yourself as well, I'd say. So uh, next one on your list is finding your voice and building a brand. Yeah. So this is something that is very daunting, I think, in the beginning to figure out who you are as a writer. What, what is voice? You know, everyone talks about voice. Everyone talks about brand. And it's kind of hard in the beginning because you're just experimenting and you're writing in different genres. And who am I? I would say that your voice is the thing that is, it, it's definitely a calling card about you. Like for instance, my voice, I've come to realize through people telling me what my voice is yeah. from having peers read my scripts, but that, you know, it's, uh, it, they can be funny. They can be kind of heartbreaking and tragic, uh, usually revolving around. And this is a big part of my brand that my manager sells me on is that I write about the working class, the American working class, the people often forgot about in our society um, yeah. who are just working regular jobs. Because like I said earlier, that's who I am. That's what I come from. I was, you know, a restaurant server for nine years. I've worked at Walmart. <laughs> I've worked in uh, various warehouse jobs, driving forklifts, you know, I've uh, done quite a few different yeah, regular I mean, people I can, jobs. I can tell you as, you know, as a, as a consumer of American cinema, in my formative years, I thought everybody lived in huge semi-detached houses and had two cars each, you know? Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, no, that's, that's a lie that they're selling you. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, and, and that's a huge selling point. Uh, why I even got represented was um, my manager said that he was talking to 
people who also work at the company. It's a small company. But saying, do we have anyone on our roster who does what Andy does specifically? He writes about smaller worlds, uh, working class characters. My manager comes from a working class family as well in Alabama. Um, So he was interested in amplifying that kind of voice and those kind of characters that we don't see that much Mm. in American cinema. And so that was a huge thing for me. But like, yeah, so your voice is... You know, what is it that makes it a, um, you know, uh, a whatever, whoever you are, what is it that makes it your script? I know people would say out of that, interest, like, out of interest. I mean, obviously that, that's a reflection of who you are and, and equal to you. I mean, in, in Britain, I come from, from a, from a working class background too. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's kind of, that's a big focus for me in terms of trying. And certainly you think of Midwest versus showing New York or showing LA, you know, Thinking in terms yeah. of outsiders of the coastal cities and stuff, equally yep. thinking. I mean, admittedly, I now live in London, so that makes me a bit of a hypocrite now. But it's, oh, yeah. <clears throat> but I don't, you know, I haven't, I've not lost all memory of what it's like outside of London, and it's always sure. interesting to try and talk about. But, but when you were starting out writing, did you, were you conscious of this from the get go, or is it something you found? Because I mean, obviously, this is about finding your voice. Did you start by trying yeah. to write Guardians of the Galaxy and then realize I'm not going to ever write Guardians of the Galaxy? Let's be honest with ourselves. And you started corralling yourself into this kind of blue collar kind of ideas of, of drama. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, in the beginning, I kind of, I kind of have always been writing small stories. Uh, funny background about Suplex <clears throat> is in 2016, hmm. I was laying in bed one night and uh, I had partaken. This was before I got sober. <laughs> I had uh, smoked a little bit of weed, a little bit of marijuana. I was chilling in my room. All the lights were off and I was just laying in bed with my laptop and I wrote the first four pages of suplex. I didn't know what I was doing. I thought it was going to be like a web series at the time. And I just started randomly writing. I wrote four pages of this thing and uh, closed the laptop and didn't open it again for two and almost three years when I was sitting in my first screenwriting class in college. And um, I was like, we had to write the first 30 pages of a feature. That was our assignment over okay. the course of a semester. And I was like, what if I went back to that suplex thing that I started three years ago, laying in bed one night, not thinking anything about it. Um, but like, yeah, that was, I kind of think of that as my most like unfiltered writing voice is that before I ever cared about the industry, before I cared about market viability or any of these things, I wanted to tell this tiny, tiny story about a kid wrestling in these tiny little backyard wrestling rings made from whatever they could find to Mm. construct these dangerous rings and um, trying to basically beat his own cowardice. That's what the story is about. It's about a kid who knows that he's a little bit of a coward and to get out of his toxic situation, he needs to get strong. Mm. And he does so by entering into this really dangerous, violent backyard wrestling ring. Um, but it's it's a really small story, and uh, Bellyache is also about a small town story. So I think that I never set out to tell these stories, but I was setting out to talk about what I know as yeah. a person in Missouri. I know regular working class people. That's where I come from. So it kind of happened organically to answer your question. Now there are some people from Missouri that might be writing the next Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. awesome. But the way my brain works. Um, it's kind of just getting things out that um, that are re- closer to my experience. I don't write superhero stories. It's not saying I never would. Yeah. But if I if I were to write a superhero story, it would be some kind of weird suburban Missouri superhero or something kind of offbeat like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, it would be my version of it. Um, I'll tell but, you mine. Yeah, like, I'll tell you mine when we finish recording. Oh, okay, awesome. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. <laughs> Uh, but like, you know, also I've written horror, I've written sci-fi, I've written a few different things, <clears throat> but the things that are really like taking off for me are the dramas about working class characters. Well, it must be comforting to know you can, you can be yourself as it were to, to promote yourself as a writer, you know, that, that that's a pretty good place to get to. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely not mad about, uh, where I'm at right now in my journey. Uh, it's it, it all feels very authentic to me, and I'm just glad that there seems to be some kind of audience for it. The next tip is a, is is a very is a very practical one, and and I think one that 
I think more people, more writers should sort of explore because you can teach yourself a lot without risking a lot in the process is making your short film with whatever you have available with, to you. Yes. Um, so yeah, I can't stress this enough. And I know on Twitter, there's like some people who are like, listen, if you have an iPhone, you can go make a movie. And while that is true, and it's a good exercise, I mean, you're probably not going to make a movie that can do much for you career-wise, mm-hmm. which that's kind of the difference. And I get, I, I get why that's a touchy subject on Twitter. But what I can say is that like, I had the good fortune of going to film school. I'm still in a lot of debt from it. But um, from going to film school, I got to have a network of peers who were also interested in filmmaking. They wanted to make films. We had a media center at my school where we could check out cameras and lights and all these different things. So long as we were currently students and paying a tuition. Um, So I had all the resources I needed to make my first couple films. And the first one I made was complete dog shit. Uh, I don't know if I could swear on this. I'm sorry. You've already done it. Go on, crack on. You're okay. My very first film was not great. Uh, Second one was uh, better. It was an improvement. And we actually got into some festivals. We even won Best Horror at the uh, Chicago Southland International Film Festival. Congratulations. Which was a really awesome experience. Um, But yeah, and then the latest one was my first one on my own. So all we did was we have a cheap camera. Uh, A lot of people shoot on, you know, Ari Alexas and Reds and things like that. We had a Z cam, which is kind of like the equivalent to what I own is a Blackmagic Pocket 6K cinema camera, okay. which was about 20, 2500 bucks. Got you. Uh, it's definitely pricey, but it's not, you know, cinema camera making Hollywood films pricey. Hmm. Um, and we had a set of cheap Rokinon Cine DS lenses. Uh, we had four lenses. Um And we had, you know, lights that we were able to check out from the school because I had a friend who still went to Webster come work on the film who helped us out. You know, they got some gear for us. Um, So I'm in a privileged position that I made this network in film school. And I would encourage people, you know, when we talk about go out and make your film with what you got, a lot of that is, you know, go out and network with filmmakers in your community. Find people who live around you who are interested in doing this stuff, too. Mm. And then pull your resources, you know, and uh, hey, I have a set of lights. You have a camera. You know, my other friend has lenses. Let's all get together, make my movie, make your movie, make their movie. Um, you yeah, know, I let's, guess, let's, I let's guess keep... for someone that's not done it at all ever, then I guess the starting point, because it would seem scary to go, I want to make a film, is make yourself available to be a resource on somebody else's short and get to know yes. people sort of from within as opposed to, because trying to recruit people who you're not going to pay up in most instances is, yeah. is is fraught with people who aren't going to turn up and whatever. Whereas if you if you've put yourself in the middle of something and say, "Look, I'd like to lend my resources to your film," and that's the mm-hmm. best way to get to know anybody and for them to get to know you, because the minute they see that you're enthusiastic and competent and reliable, etc., then when you turn around and say, "Hey, I've got a film I want to make," they might they're yeah. going to be more receptive to that because they go. Hey, that's not a stranger. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the same goes for the screenwriting community, too, in that, like, you know, I need notes on my new script. Uh, Perhaps I can reach out to this person that I'm friendly with and ask if they have a new script that I could give them feedback on, and we can do a swap. And then we're meeting in the middle. Um, I'm not just hitting someone up and being like, hey, will you take two, three hours out of your day, read my script, give me detailed feedback, and send it back? Because that's what I need. Um, then you're meeting people in the middle and, you know, you're, you're not only giving each, it's not a mutual, it's not only a mutual benefit, but you're also making a friend, you're Mm. building on a friendship. Uh, and the same goes for filmmaking really like, uh, meet people, you know, some people make movies alone, but very, very rarely, um, you gotta get out there. Um, you gotta meet people in your community, be willing to share your resources, share your time and effort share your thoughts, and hopefully if you build a healthy network, then you're going to get the same in return. And that's how movies get made at a very, very small level. Um, And like you said, people aren't being paid. So, you know, there's usually a certain amount of passion in these people that are willing to come out for free uh, and it's doing favors for each other and knowing that they'll be repaid if you need something someday. Uh, On my next film that we're trying to shoot later this summer, we're going to run a big Kickstarter for the first time. 
uh, uh, we did a small one last time just to kind of pay for meals and things like that for people. Hmm. But uh, this time we're going to try to raise uh, uh, quite a few thousand because we're going to pay people for the first time because I'm really like, as a creator who's made a few films now, I'm really tired of asking for favors from people. Mm. Uh, and I just feel like I'm at a point now where my new film, Ethan and Edna, hopefully through festival success, if we have any, um, hopefully, you know, through festival success and not just that, but just people liking the movie, we can um, build a budget because people will believe in us a little more and our dream that we can really make a good film. And hopefully we can raise enough money that we can pay crew and cast for the first time. Uh, I don't plan on taking any money because it's my passion project, Hmm. but like uh, for others, you know, uh, there, there comes a certain point too, where you, you build all these things from the ground up. You know, you, when you start your first screenplay, it's probably not going to be the one that brings you into the industry. The odds just are that it's not. You continue to learn, you continue to grow a network. And then before you know it, you're in a position where you have a manager and you have a network of peers and you know, you're, you're really doing it. Mm. And I think the same goes for filmmaking, start small, start with what you have, meet new people and, you know, grow from there. Yeah. Cause, cause obviously from what you're saying, it's, it's all a very iterative process. Nobody arrives fully formed. You know, all the best yes. filmmakers that we've ever heard of started off holding a boom mic for someone or yep. going to get sandwiches for somebody. You know, it, yeah. it, it, you know, there obviously are exceptions from very privileged backgrounds that just got jumped, you know, that went from, you know, from zero to directing a movie that cost $2 million or whatever it might be. And they're very lucky, but they are few and far <laughs> between and you can be bitter and just about it. But most people... That enthusiasm you're talking about, you know, what well, we if you look at somebody who's like the one of the most successful filmmakers ever, Steven Spielberg, he was making films in his backyard when he was what eight years old or something, you know? And it, and it's yeah. no and it's no coincidence that when you read those stories about people that they they be you know they become successful filmmakers. That's not to say that everybody that gets a super eight camera when they're eight years old is going to become Steven Spielberg, but everything starts with the first thing you do. You don't you don't you're not ready to make Nomadland or you're not ready to make Logan just because you want to make a movie and you've seen one. Yeah. I, uh, I have to tell this really quick story now because you said Nomadland. One of the managers that I met with on the way uh, who didn't want to sign me and uh, it was a good thing that they didn't. But one of the things that they told me that really turned me off was um, you need to quit making short films. You need to go make your feature. Uh, get the money however you can and go make your feature. Uh, and if you put your feature up and it isn't, you put it right next to a TV that's playing Nomadland. And if your sh- film doesn't look like that, you need to just trash it and just go start over. And I was like, the best picture winner in Nomadland? Like, yeah. is that what we're talking about? Um, and it was just kind of like a, a funny bar because like, like you said, you know, you don't come out of the gate making Nomadland. It just no, no, doesn't not at all. happen. Um, it's a long way. I believe, uh, Chloe Zhao, right? Yeah. Uh, Nomadland. She had made previous films. Of course, you know, yeah, uh, Probably quite a few uh, short films, but I know that she made at least one feature. Yeah, The Rider. Or that. Uh, yes, yeah. Uh, so um, just kind of hilarious advice. People are going to give you bad advice. I would say that's bad advice. Um, it's, a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. You know, go out there, make your movies, accept the flaws that they have, learn from them, I know for me with Tin Box, I made a movie that was a little bit cool. With Ethan and Edna, all I wanted to do was make a movie that I thought in my mind was a little bit better than Tin Box. And I think we succeeded with that. And that's what I want to do on my next movie is be a little bit better than Ethan and Edna. And it's a growth. And that's that's actually very good advice. I mean, it's advice I, I try and give to a lot of people. I've mentored a couple of people and there's there's always that worry that they're not, they've not woken up Quentin Tarantino or they've not woken up Lynn Ramsey. You know, because yeah. they go, that's my favorite filmmaker. And and right. I always say to them, you know, the only thing you can ever measure against is how bad you were before and how much better you are now, because that's the bit you control. Trying to be as good as Lynn Ramsey is a bit like me trying to say I'm going to be as good a cook as bloody Gordon Ramsay, you know? It's, yeah. it's, it's never going to be something I can really measure. So no. No. the one thing you can control is that you work, you develop by working, 
And therefore, you can see when you put two scripts side by side, when they're two years between them, that mm. one is markedly better than the other one. And that's the measure that you want yeah. to be able to show yourself to keep you going, I suppose. And who knows, maybe in 10 or 15 years, you are cooking like Gordon Ramsay or you are. I already am, like but I don't Quentin want to Tarantino. brag, you know, I don't want to brag. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, totally, totally. Yeah. Yeah. The humble rap. The final thing on your five, and I think you've touched on this a bit, but I think you, you might want to expl- expand it more, is yeah. writing with a personal connection to the material. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, the you know, I kind of talked about the log lines of the two features that I that helped me break in. Yeah. Suplex and Bellyache. Suplex is about a cowardly kid who knows he wants to take needs to take the next step in his life to get out of a toxic situation. So he enters a violent backyard wrestling league. That whole script is a metaphor for me, the way I wrote it, of me being 26 years old, coming from a partying background. I was a high school dropout. I didn't even have a GED, a high school equivalent, okay. until I was 25. So I went many years with no high school education, and I had really low self-esteem about that. And uh I finally, I got a, I got sober for the first time. I ended up relapsing, but now I'm sober again. But um, I, uh, thank you. Um, but I started community college and it, or I got my GED and then I started community college. And it was a very scary thing because I felt like, you know, I went many years without a high school education and having very low self-esteem about that, about my level of education and my ability to even be a student. Hmm. Um, but I did it. I thrust myself into this world that I was terrified of. And then I ended up being a college graduate and having like pretty good grades and things went okay from a lot of hard work. But, um, that's what suplex is really about. It's about someone being kind of scared of taking the next step, but doing it anyway. And it's told through this crazy backyard wrestling story. Bellyache is personal to me. My mom worked in an elementary school cafeteria. She was a lunch lady and they had a policy at her school where if a student can't afford their lunch, uh, if there's, you know, they're in the negative in their account, then they get uh, a cheese sandwich, which is just two pieces of bread and a slice of cheese in the middle, while all the other kids who have money are able to eat whatever the special of the day is. And my mom had to take away a hot tray from like seven and eight-year-old children because they didn't have enough money. And that's like, it's not their fault at all. It's yeah, their yeah, parents yeah. not giving the money or their parents just being broke. That happens. People, some people are poor. Yeah. And yeah, the American public school system thinks that children should have to pay for that when our public schools are funded by taxes. As me, a taxpaying citizen, I'm like, I will pay a little bit more if that's the difference is that kids don't have to suffer in public yeah, schools yeah, yeah. because even outside of the hunger side of it, psychological aspect of it too you know poor kids get bullied that's just the truth um Mm. kids who are different and we're singling out these kids for a thing that's no fault of their own that's a lot of what bellyache was about my mom told me these stories and it was so heartbreaking for her that she ended up not working at that school anymore because they were making her do this thing that as a mother completely contradicts who she is in her core of taking food away from a child So that always stuck with me so much that when it came time to write my senior thesis feature in film school, I I chose that to be the subject matter. Mm. And then from that, Bellyache grew from that. And lo and behold, it ended up being the script that's done the most for me because I think a lot of people hear about this thing that's going on in American public schools. And it's like, why are we not talking about this? Uh, This is a very real thing. And it's told through like, a darkly comedic sense. Um, but there is a lot of drama in there and a lot of realness to it as well. Um, so writing with a personal connection, I would just say is like, what is on your mind? <laughs> Who are, what do you think of as a, I'm a strongly opinionated person. I think that a lot of writers really should be because oh. it means that you have something to say. So it's like, what in your core of who you are as a person and the way that you view the world, what is the thing that keeps you up at night? What is a thing that you could talk about so passionately because it, it bothers you, it excites you, um, a number of other emotions that you could feel from any one thing? Uh, you can write a ghost story or you can write a zombie movie or whatever, but what is the theme going on in there? You know, what are, what are we trying yeah, to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I've, I've, done, uh, I've done it in genre myself. I mean, I did one, you know... Yeah. A woman who cares for the elderly and has a part-time job working as a courier 
is the lead in a folk horror that I've written, you know? So that character yeah. is doing a real human problem, but against that, <clears throat> then there's a backdrop of this other supernatural thing, which makes it a genre yes. piece. But, but the character is still from something that's real in, in, in that relates to how I see the world, you know, and how the world... I mean, what you're talking about from your point of view, I always think of it's a, it's a, it, it happens more... It, it seems to get covered more in American TV. It's like the idea of the... The American dream turned nightmare for for too many people. You know that the mm-hmm. the dream just isn't even a isn't even a thought you could have because every every week is a living nightmare. Because of, if you're that kid getting the cheese sandwich where all your friends are getting burgers and fries, you know you're yeah you're not living any American dream and you can't see that you're part of it. You know, and I think that that's something that I think is an important story to try to tell. I think it's great that you've. You're 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 able to do that with it, and and to answer you, listening yeah. to your talk throughout this whole thing, you, you you've you've identified obviously you, you you dropped out of school, you parted, and and then you sort of you've seen the light in some way, shape, or form that's got you to this place. Mm-hmm. But it does sound like you've lived a life as well. You know, there's there's an element there's an element to what you're talking about, which isn't about anything to do with film. It's about being a human being and the fact that you've you've, you've had knocks and you've had successes, and you know what. You know which one you prefer, but you know what to do when you get a knock. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the funny thing about it, isn't it? That um, I, I think that there's so many people in the world who film isn't even on their radar, hmm. but because of their life experience, they have the, the potential to be an amazing storyteller yeah. or an amazing filmmaker if they were just given the education and the tools yeah. on how to do it because hmm. their experience is just so unique and um yeah, there's tremendous stories around the world. Human beings are inherently interesting. Every single one of us have a story that is inherently interesting. And I would say, what is the thing about you? You might think, oh, well, I come from a very normal town and a very normal family, and I'm just a normal person. There's nothing. Dig deep. Hmm. You know, what is what is the thing? What is the the thing, the weird thing that your cousin got arrested for? You know, what is uh what is, you know, the a uh, religious event that you were made to attend that you didn't really uh, know how much you were in love with that. Um, and you had to make a decision later in life on your own. Like there's just, you know, anything, yeah, anything, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, also, but it's but all also, about, I was going to say, but also the way you were talking there about your mother told you stories and they yeah. stuck with you, but it wasn't until you started going through your film education that you had, a, you had somewhere to release these stories. You know, they were just between you and your mother, yes. but then, You've yes. they 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 be they are obviously very dear to you for, yes. for obvious reasons, but then actually yeah. they then become a well a, a resource well for you to sort of to explore with your writing, which I think is really exciting. Now, yeah, external stories from other people, yeah, totally. Well, let's, that we've done our five now, sir, and I'm very grateful for that. I'm just going to run mm-hmm. through the list of the of what we just covered. So, in the last mm-hmm. 25 minutes or so, we have we have talked. Breaking in from outside Hollywood, which I think you know where you where you're currently your trajectory currently sits. You're you're living proof that 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 it's 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 possible to not be invisible when you're not yes. in, in Hollywood. Um, yes. Navigating screenwriting competitions. I think you're the fact the fact that you could talk to a lived experience and the the festivals you've dealt with directly and continue to have dialogue with. I thought was really really sort of sound. Um, you know, and and you know, as we as we caveat it all, that's your experience. Other people may have bad experiences, and that's not that doesn't contradict that. Um, yes, because obviously, a subjective read is a subjective read. You know, yes. if you'd have got yeah. your five and ten the other way around, you wouldn't have got to the ten, would you? I mean, your nine point, whatever it was, and you and your five, yeah. you wouldn't have got to the nine if you hadn't got to the nine, the nine yeah. first. You know. And there's people out there whose first script is a finalist in the Nickel Fellowship. Yeah. You know, it's just you never know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, finding your voice and building a brand, making you short with whatever you've got available to you, and then as we just talked about, writing with the personal connections and material. You've mentioned it a couple of times, but let's let's remind people what's the short film that you've got currently in circulation. Then that's that's looking to get into festivals. What's that called? Yes, it's called Ethan and Edna. It's a short dramedy film um, made here in St. Louis with a small crew of people I went to film school with and a small cast of local actors. Um, Stars Larry Clauden, who's a good friend of mine, and uh, Donna Weinstein, who is an amazing actress that we found through auditions. Um, It's going to be in circulation in the festival circuit this year. Hopefully, with any luck, we've submitted to, I think, 10 festivals now. Some 
that are pretty prominent. We really took huge swings this year and I'm totally waiting for the rejection letters to come in. But uh, should we get selected by one of those, it'd be pretty awesome. Uh, but I have high hopes. And also, you know, if we don't get into any festivals, uh, it's not going to stop me. And then finally, yes, you're the host for podcast. Tell us about the podcast again. Yes. Yeah. So a relatively new venture. Um, it's called the Social Screenwriters Podcast. You can find more about it on Twitter and Instagram at Social Writer Pod. Um, it's I just interview people that I've met on Twitter, uh, writers, screenwriters, and we talk about who they are. We talk about uh, their writing process, how they go, how they attack writing, what their experience has been like so far trying to break into the industry. And um, I'm actually entering a new stage where I'm broadening that a little bit and uh, maybe bringing a few managers that I know on mm. and uh, things like that. But it's basically a podcast where I really just try to be a positive resource for screenwriters, aspiring, especially like trying to get into the industry. Yeah, I just want to be like a positive thing i'm having a lot of fun just meeting people and learning their experiences and i will waffle on about this forever so what i will do right now is say thank you very much for giving your time on the britflix podcast of course yeah it was an absolute pleasure man i i just hope i did a good job 